You're listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church, Van Alstine. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Now here's Pastor Mike. If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, join me in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We're in a uh, Sunday morning series uh, that we've entitled Hold Firm, Getting a Grip on the Confession of Our Faith. We've been studying uh, biblically-based doctrine uh, that guides our faith in practice, and uh, particularly as it is expressed for us, clarified for us in what we call the Baptist Faith and Message. I'll remind you that the foundational text for the series is Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Paul writing to uh, Titus, instructing him uh, about local church ministry, uh, local church leadership. And he says there he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Uh, Now... As we look at Matthew chapter 5 this morning, uh, understand uh, that we're looking at two different articles this morning. Uh, Article number 14 uh, deals with cooperation particularly, and then article 15 uh, deals with the Christian and the social order. Now these two fit together nicely, uh, but they are distinctly different. Um, The article on cooperation deals primarily with... um, Uh, how we cooperate with uh, the body of Christ, we might say, or with uh, other denominations, uh, those of other faiths uh, even, uh, while the article on the Christian and the social order deals primarily with how we relate to uh, the society in which we live. Uh, And so I think you'll uh, better come to understand that uh, in just a few moments. But I want us to look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 through 16 as our key text for the day. Uh, If you're not familiar with the lay of the land uh, here in Matthew's gospel, uh, you'll notice in chapter 5 that we have the Sermon on the Mount. And then with that, the Beatitudes. Uh, You're probably familiar with uh, that section of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, I do want to point out that uh, before we get into verse number 13, we want to kind of get a running start into that. I want you to notice, this isn't going to be on the screen, but I want you to notice what it says in verse 12. It says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. He's talking about those who revile you, persecute you, uh, utter evil things against you falsely on my account. So he says, rejoice in that, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so it's in the context here of persecution uh, and relating to the world around us that we find verses 13 through 16. Notice it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. They would uh, often use salt to, uh, to keep the vegetation down in walkways and that sort of thing. And so basically saying that that's all it's really good for. That salt isn't pure enough to be used uh, for any other means except to be just thrown in the pathways to, to kill off some of the vegetation. Verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. So we're to be salt and we're to be light. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, so he's using this as an illustration, something that they would be very familiar with, 
Um, now, some of you might use candles occasionally, but rarely do you use those candles or any, any kind of lighting like that for your regular lighting. We rely upon electricity, of course. They wouldn't have in that day, and so they would have read, readily understood uh, the illustration that Jesus is using here. You're not going to light your lamps and then put something over them. Okay, what, what good does that do? You're, you're not going to get any value from the light that it gives off. And so he goes, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so with that text as a foundation, let's then look at the wording of these two articles, article number 14 and article number 15. The first one on cooperation. Christ's people should, as occasion requires, organize such associations and conventions as may best secure cooperation, and this next phrase is very important, for the great objects of the kingdom of God. Such organizations have no authority over one another or over the churches. They are voluntary and advisory bodies designed to elicit, combine, and direct the energies of our people in the most effective manner. Members of New Testament churches should cooperate with one another in carrying forward the missionary, educational, and benevolent ministries for the extension of Christ's kingdom. Notice that word kingdom used once again. Christian unity in the New Testament sense is spiritual harmony and voluntary cooperation for common ends by various groups of Christ's people. Cooperation is desirable between the various Christian denominations when the end to be attained is itself justified and when such cooperation involves no violation of conscience or compromise of loyalty to Christ and his word as revealed in the New Testament. That's the article on cooperation. You ever wonder, who is it with whom we should cooperate? I mean, who is it that we're willing to work with? Who are those that we would say, well, we really can't work with you? I mean, there are people today who would love for us to have some sort of a uh, idealistic utopia uh, where uh, those uh, who call themselves Christians could all just kind of gather there and we wouldn't have to be exposed to uh, any of the elements of a sinful world or anything like that. And we could all just get along all the time on everything. Uh, maybe you've even seen uh, something along this lines uh, in the form of a bumper sticker. It says, coexist. Right? you got all these different symbols and everything, and it just says, coexist. Okay, but that, that sounds like a great sentiment. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that we should not be cooperative in terms of our spirit and our demeanor. Uh, we want to certainly be Christ-like in every way. But we understand that there are those with whom we can easily, readily cooperate, and others not so much. And we're going to talk about that this morning. In fact, I've entitled this morning's message, Cooperate, Separate, and Engage. Cooperate, separate, and engage. Now let's look at article number 15. And again, this specifically speaks to uh, the Christian and the society in which we live, the world around us. It says this, All Christians are under obligation to seek to make the will of Christ supreme in our own lives and in human society. Means and methods used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can be truly and permanently helpful, listen to this very carefully, only when they are rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. And we're going to come back to that here in just a few moments, but I want you to make note of that. In the spirit of Christ, it goes on to say, Christians should oppose racism, 
every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, homosexuality, and pornography. We should work to provide for the orphaned, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. Every Christian should should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill and in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. In his book entitled The SBC Consensus and Renewal, SBC uh, certainly a reference to the Southern Baptist Convention, Consensus and Renewal, Dr. David Dockery said this. He makes a statement that, that really grabs my attention. He said, our times need a new generation that will both be convictional and cooperative. That will both be convictional and cooperative. Now some people would say that we can't do both of those at the same time. Some people would say that, that man, we, we've, we've got to be so convictional that really we can't cooperate with anyone. There are those who are independent of the independence of, the, of those who are independent. I mean, they're so independent that it's like if you don't see everything exactly the way we do, view everything exactly the way we do, then we will have zero cooperation with you. Okay, then there are others on the other end of the spectrum who would say we should just cooperate with anybody and everybody regardless of what they believe, regardless of how they view uh, such important matters as salvation uh, and, and the deity of Christ. And I'll say, we should just cooperate with everybody in, in, in every way. Well, both of those extremes are very dangerous. And so what David Dockery is, is making a plea for are those who will both be convictional and at the same time be cooperative. And so that's what these two articles really are all about. Understand this, cooperation provides the fundamental reason for the unique organization uh, and and the life that we call Southern Baptist life, okay? Uh, It may be that, and I don't know this with certainty because I'm certainly not familiar with every organization or every group or denomination's doctrinal statement, uh, but I would guess there are very few who have an article of cooperation in their doctrinal statement, So the bigger question is this, what does the scripture say? What what does the New Testament particularly say about the topic of cooperation? Well, there's not a lot in terms of direct statements. Okay, you shall cooperate with these people. You shall shall not cooperate with these. Okay, we, we, we don't have those kind of direct statements in scripture, and that's often the case. But what we do have are spiritual implications, and so, uh, remember, the, the church at Antioch, the churches at Antioch and, and Jerusalem, they cooperated in a, in a doctrinal question about the nature of the gospel. Remember that from Acts chapter 15. Uh, remember that Paul encouraged the Macedonian churches to collect a financial offering for the saints in Jerusalem. We find that in 2 Corinthians chapters uh, 8 and 9. And so, for Paul... Uh, the offering demonstrated the unity of the one gospel for both Jews and Greeks. Now, we find that in Romans chapter 15. 
Uh, and then Paul received financial gifts from the churches uh, at Philippi or from the church at Philippi to further the gospel. We find that in Philippians chapter 4. And he also anticipated help from the church at Rome. And so what we see are these, these, uh, these early New Testament churches cooperating together for the cause of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel. And so they were willing to cooperate, to work together. We don't see a competitive spirit or anything like that. Now, certainly they were ministering locally uh, to, to those in the area where these churches have been established and planted. But at the same time, they're cooperating with one another, putting their resources together so that the gospel could advance. And so the New Testament speaks very clearly of cooperative partnerships in doctrine and in benevolence and in the advancement of the gospel. Now, there are three words, again, that I want us to, to give our attention to today. And I want, I want you to, uh, to bear these three words in mind as we consider uh, these two articles today. The three words are this, cooperate, separate, and engage. Uh, consider first, as it relates to our cooperation, the missionary mandate of cooperation. Why is it that we would cooperate with, with other churches, for example, or other groups or organizations? Why, why is it that we would do that? Why is it that we would, uh, say, uh, form a, a, a partnership, as it were, with a group like Right Now Media? Okay, they're producing resources that we believe are, are, are gospel-centered, uh, Christ-centered, they're, they're gospel-driven, they're biblically-based, and so we would say, yes, we can, we can partner with you to the degree that we will utilize some of those resources that you're producing to allow people to be better discipled and to, to be on mission and, and those kinds of things. So we, we don't just cooperate with those who label themselves the same way we do. Okay, but, but where do we know uh, where that distinction is? Where, where is the line, so to speak? Now, Throughout history, Baptists formed associations and conventions for the kingdom of God. That's, that's, the key, uh, that, that's, that's the key phrase right there. Early Baptists realized that the missionary mandate necessitated cooperation beyond the capability of a single local church. Okay, now the, the, the just shy of $15,000 that we have given during this Lottie Moon season, God can certainly do a whole lot with that. And we're trusting him to do so, Right? But think of how much more can be done when the $15,000 that we have given is put with the, the $500, perhaps, that another church has given, and the $25,000 that another church has given, and the $2.5 million that maybe another church has given. When that's all put together in a cooperative sort of way, j just imagine what can be done for the, for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. And so that, that's the idea of what we're seeing here. That's why we call it the cooperative program. Okay, and so when you give to the budget of First Baptist Church Van Austin, you are supporting various types of, of works all over the world. And you saw just a glimpse of one of those kinds of works early in the service this morning uh, with those serving in, in some of these areas. And so there is a missionary mandate that drives our cooperation. Okay, we will cooperate with you so long as, hey, we are striving to advance the gospel. And we can do so as long as it doesn't violate our conscience and doesn't violate our stance on, on the scriptures. Okay? And then notice also that there's a voluntary nature to the cooperation. Okay, the way that, that our churches are organized, we are actually a convention of churches. Okay, so there's no denominational hierarchy. Okay? We serve, uh, for example, locally, uh, along with about 48, 49 other churches that make up the Grace and Baptist Association. 
we have uh, what's called a director of missions. His name is Bobby Fletcher. Okay, and so uh, Bobby serves the churches of the Grace and Baptist Association, but not in any sort of authoritative way. Okay, Brother Bobby doesn't call me and tell me what I have to preach or what I can't preach or what we as a church have to do or not do. And uh, I, I, I was not appointed uh, by a denominational hierarchy to this church, for example. Our churches are all autonomous. Okay, now there is an understanding about our cooperation not only with the local association, but with our state convention and the national convention that we call the Southern Baptist Convention. There are some things that are just, that, that come with that, okay? If, if next week uh, we as a church decide we're going to start worshiping totem poles, okay, or something like that, some crazy thing, okay, then as word drifts up to the associational office, I will likely get a phone call and say, hey, um, I'm not sure that we're cooperating anymore, okay? You understand how this works, Okay, the same would be true for our state convention and the national convention. There are just some things that would prohibit our cooperation. Okay, now that's not to suggest that we agree with or wholeheartedly support any and everything that, that our local association does or the state convention does or the national. But, but, but as it relates to the advancement of the kingdom of God and the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are saying, yes, we will voluntarily Lock arms with you, join hands with you for the sake of the gospel, but it's voluntary. And then I want you to notice again here that there are limits to our cooperation. And, and they're spelled out here for us in the article. First, the end or purpose of the cooper cooperation must be justifiable. Okay, throughout much of the 20th century, there were certain groups like the National Council of Churches uh, that promoted the goal of ecumenicalism, uh, the, the, the organic unity of all churches. They wanted to try to like, have a one big worldwide church. And the thought is, uh, with those who, who you know, would push that kind of agenda, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just you know, set aside our differences and say, no, it's our belief that some of those differences are so very important that we would have to say it's necessary for us to stay separate. Okay, it's necessary for us to stay separate. We, we cannot cooperate in those endeavors because, for example, we don't view the means of salvation the same way that this organization might or this group might or this church might. Uh, we don't view the deity of Christ the same way that this organization might or this group might or this church might. We, we don't view the authority of scripture the same way as, as some of these organizations. So for those reasons, we would say we can't cooperate we can't cooperate. That doesn't mean we have to be mean-spirited toward those organizations or, or those individuals. It doesn't mean that we have to be uh, angry at them, okay, or anything like that. It doesn't mean that we have to take a, a position of piety where we think we've got it all figured out and nobody else does. But we would have to say, in these cases, we just can't cooperate, okay? Now, there are some areas where we might be able to cooperate with some of those folks, Okay, but it's, it's not going to be for the advancement of the gospel because in some cases we hold to a very different gospel. <laughs> we hold to a gospel of regeneration through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Okay, there are others who, that, that's not their view on salvation. It may be some of Jesus, but then it's your good works as well. Or it, 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 they're just all different belief systems out there today. And so we would have to say this is where we would draw the line. Okay, so... Sometimes we can, can cooperate. Sometimes we have to separate. 
Okay, so there, there are limits to our cooperation. Cooperate, separate, and engage. Now, let's think about this idea of, of separating, all right? Most people don't like to, to, to think in terms of being divisive or, or anything like that. I mean, let's face it, there's enough division in the world today and negativity and all these different things, and that's why I think some people feel like, man, we should all just, just get along. Let's just all get together and hold hands and sing Kumbaya, and it'll be great. But is that reality? I mean, we've talked about this as it relates to understanding the scriptures and having a biblical worldview. There are some views that, just, that, that, that are just different and would cause us to separate. Now, there are really five historic views that kind of guide us in this issue of the Christian and the social order now, particularly. Some choose to withdraw from the social order. Okay, the first monks, as, example, uh, as an example, they emerged in the deserts of Egypt. Okay? And so desiring to remain unstained from uh, the worldly social order, these uh, hermetic uh, monks, uh, they basically uh, tried to withdraw themselves completely from society. But you know what you find? Just because you withdraw from society as a whole, that doesn't necessarily guarantee your personal purity. Just because you may not be in direct contact with some of the things that are found in this world doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have pure thoughts, for example, or that you're going to do the right thing, (laughs) Uh, or that you're going to maintain a posture of of holiness before God. But there are some throughout history who have chosen to withdraw, to completely withdraw from the social order. You can maybe think of some other cult-type groups that have done the same kind of thing. I know this is like the 25th anniversary of the David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. And if you've watched any of those documentaries, you know that part of their philosophy was that they would withdraw. That's why they were in a compound. Okay, Um, They were to be completely separate from the world around them. All right, then, then you have some who have what's, uh, what's referred to as bifurcated realms. Okay? That means they separate Christian discipleship and engagement from the social order completely. Um, as an example, there are those out of the Anabaptist tradition, uh, the Amish, the Mennonites, for example. Uh, they avoid engagement with the social order. Uh, for example, a, a faithful Mennonite would not run uh, or serve in a public office. Okay, they would feel like that violates their convictions. Okay, so you see these, these two bifurcated realms. Then some elevate what's called the social gospel. A social gospel, maybe you've heard of that. That is a, a tendency to replace the gospel of regeneration, the biblical gospel, uh, with an emphasis on the transformation of society uh, itself. Now here's the thing about that. There are a lot of good things that we can do and should do. Feed the poor, uh, provide and, and try to alleviate homelessness. And there, there are a lot of these different things. But the social gospel would say that you do those things while you leave the biblical gospel of regeneration through faith in Jesus Christ on the shelf. Is that making sense? Here, here's a good way to understand it. We would never want to be guilty of simply making this world a better or more comfortable place from which people can go to hell. And I hope you understand what I'm saying here and the spirit behind it. Okay, I'm not suggesting that, 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 that building homes for people 
is a, is a bad thing to do. I'm, I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm not suge- I mean, we, we engage in some of those things. Okay, some of you serve faithfully through uh, the, the, the lunch program here locally, and, and some of you give regularly to benevolence needs and those kind of things. But, but, but we don't want to do those things while we leave the gospel on the shelf. Okay, we understand that the greatest need is for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so the answer, and the answers to all the world's problems around us, and we know there are many, is, is not a political answer. It's not a, a, a you know, a, a, there's so many things that we try to look to today as the ultimate answer to all that, that is, is problematic in our society. The answer is still Jesus Christ. The answer is Jesus Christ. Now, I'll give you an example of this. We, uh, when I, 20 some years ago, when I was diagnosed with diabetes very unexpectedly, um, I, 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 I had been sick and I knew I was sick. I had lost an incredible amount of weight very fast, and at first I thought it was kind of humorous, but then it, suddenly it was not funny anymore. Uh, I was really very sick. And um, so, ended up in the emergency room. And uh, the attending physician there in the emergency room, made a pretty quick diagnosis because I think I even mentioned last week that he himself was a diabetic. And so I, I began explaining the symptoms that I was experiencing. I said, I, I'm just so thirsty. I can never get enough to drink. And like I'm getting up like six or seven times during the night and using the restroom. And I mean, I was describing all this to him. And, and now he could have said, I'll tell you what, let's just treat the symptoms. Here, we'll give you a couple of bottles of water and you go home. Because, I mean, you're thirsty, right? So here. No, he didn't do that. That would have been medically irresponsible. No, they began to run some tests because they wanted to find out why I was experiencing some of these symptoms. Well, the same thing is true as it relates to the gospel. All right? Some of the things that we're seeing in the world around us are symptoms of a much bigger problem, a much bigger issue. And the big issue is that every human being has a sinful heart and is in need of a savior. Okay, so we do not hold to a social gospel in that sense. Now, some people uh, try to, to, uh, to, in a very big way, they try to unite the Christian faith in the social order, and so it's just kind of all mixed up. And what happens there is that the, the, the church begins to look so much like the world that we can't distinguish the two. I mean, churches become very entertainment-based. Uh, they do things uh, that, that, that would just you know, like kind of mash it all together. I had a youth pastor years ago who used to say this, if you look like the world, you smell like the world, you talk like the world, you walk, probably you're of the world. Okay, and so that's not the view that we would hold either. We believe that we're to be holy. Scripture tells us that. Now, in that, we're not just talking about a moralism or just good behavior. We're talking about being truly set apart for God and his for his glory. Okay, so there's to be a distinction there. And so what, what should our position be here then? What should be our focus? Well, it's our belief that based upon the word of God, our, our model should be one uh, that is a redemptive prophetic witness. A redemptive prophetic witness. Now, what, what exactly does that mean? That means that through the transformation of individuals, through faith in Jesus Christ, the social order can be both confronted and redeemed. Full redemption, of course, we believe must wait until the return of Christ and the full establishment of his kingdom. Okay, so we're not trying to, uh, we're not suggesting that we're trying to create some little Christian world where everybody sees things the same way and, all, and that's not what we're suggesting. 
Okay, and so notice a couple of things here that, that, these articles, that these articles give us and instruct us in. It calls upon us to impact the social order for Christ, and in doing that, to make the will of Christ supreme in our own lives and in human society. Jesus consistently challenged his disciples, as we've just read here in Matthew chapter 5, to function as salt on the earth and the light of the world. We're to make a difference in this world. Okay, so that tells us that we're not to be those who would completely withdraw from society, right? Oh, just wash our hands of it all and say, well, y'all just go on about your business while we, you know, we try to you know, cloister ourselves over here. No, we're, we're, we're to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And as a part of this world, we're to maintain this saltiness, as Jesus says here. And we're to let our light shine, not so that people can glorify us, but that they'll see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Okay, it's a, it's a redemptive, prophetic witness. Okay, then you'll notice that there are some, uh, uh, th- th- the idea of these negative social sins which we should individually and collectively oppose. Okay, so how do you do that in a loving way? That's where the rub comes in a lot of times, isn't it? Especially in today's culture. I mean, because of social media and a lot of those different things, what we're finding is that it's very difficult for people who have opposing views to be gracious, to have a Christ-like spirit. We tend to villainize those who differ with us and those who don't embrace our beliefs. We tend to try to marginalize them in every way, and, and, but that, that's not what Scripture is teaching us here. So we, we are to cooperate There are times when we must separate, but we're also challenged here to engage the culture with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's sometimes a difficult thing to do. Let's notice real quickly some of the things that we are to oppose here, though. Racism is one of them. You think that's an issue today? If you don't think it is... Uh, then you need to get your head out of the sand, first of all. And you need to understand that it is still very much an issue. And it doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon. Okay, racism is something that we are to reject. Racism uh, rejects the dignity of human beings by, by prejudging individuals based on the color of their skin. Racism violates the very nature of God. God does not show partiality. Literally, when Scripture says that that, that God is not a God of partiality, it literally means that God does not receive face. That's that's interesting, isn't it? That is, God does not evaluate based on externals. We see that throughout Scripture. When it was time to pick a king, what did the people say? Well, it's got to be this guy. He is like 6'4", broad shoulders. Guy's a stud. That's got to be the guy, right? The Lord said, mm mm. It's that little scrawny shepherd boy. <laughs> when, uh, you know, when, when, when others see a king, God sees, God sees this little shepherd boy out here. Now, he's the one. And it's in that context that we're told man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And so uh, Scripture makes it clear that we're to reject uh, any and all forms of, of racism. Uh, it, Along with that, we live in a society 
that is just permeated, saturated with false, destructive uh, sexual ethics. I mean, we're seeing things today that, that some of us never imagined we would see in our society. But it's happening right before our very eyes. And so here you'll notice that the article encourages Christians to oppose adultery, homosexuality, pornography. Um, I used to explain it this way when I was a student pastor. I would get a hula hoop. And I would say that, uh, and I'd get my wife in this hula hoop, for example, and I would say, okay, God has set the parameters for human sexuality. God's given us that as a gift. There's a good purpose for it, purposes for it. Okay? And so, but, but his parameters are this, that within this, these parameters, that's a, a, a covenant relationship between one man and one woman. Okay, those are the parameters God has set. Anything outside of that hula hoop, <laughs> we, we are to oppose. Okay, so it's, it's spelled out kind of specifically here. It's adultery, that's homosexuality, that's pornography, anything outside of that. So always remember, whenever God gives us something, God creates something, Satan will come along with a, with a counterfeit. And we see that on, uh, every single day in our society as it relates to human sexuality. So we're to oppose any of those uh, forms of human sexuality that are outside of what God has set. Okay. Now we're told here that we are to defend the sanctity of human life. Is that an issue today? Sure it is. Some people would tell us that it's just a political issue. It's not just a political issue. It's a biblical issue. And one that we see throughout the pages of scripture. We are to value human life from birth to natural death. Okay? So in the world in which we live, you've got some countries even trying to virtually eliminate any and all individuals who have an extra chromosome, for example. And they would try to tell us that their lives don't matter. They don't have value. So they're trying to eliminate, in their words, all those with Down syndrome. That is not a biblical worldview in any way, shape, or form. And we should oppose that. Okay, so you're just getting an idea. This is certainly not an all-inclusive list. And so certainly, but, but here's, here's the issue as it relates to separating. Okay, we, we should separate certainly from all types of, of, of that kind of behavior. Okay, anything that is not biblical in nature. Okay, anything that God forbid, we should separate from that kind of behavior. That is not to say necessarily that we should separate from all those who, who do behave in such a way. In the sense that we are to engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where it becomes difficult many times. So we don't take a break from doctrine so that we can address a few political matters. That's not what we're doing here. It recognizes that these injustices and it are often themselves, they are theological claims. That's very important to remember. And so here's the way I want us to remember this. Let's look at this next statement, okay? We are to cooperate when it's possible. Cooperate when it's possible. It doesn't violate uh, our biblical beliefs. Okay, it doesn't violate our conscience as believers under the, the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In those cases, where possible, we should cooperate. Okay, but sometimes we have to separate, and so we should separate when it's necessary. Okay, when, when our conscience is violated, when we feel that such, a, such a, a, a cooperation would violate our biblical beliefs, our scriptural beliefs, then we should separate. But notice what we're to do next. We are to engage at all times with the gospel. 
even with those with whom we might separate. We are to engage at all times with the gospel for the sake of the gospel. Uh, let, let me just close with this little illustration, and, and you may have seen this before, but back when I was in high school, uh, one of my mentors uh, bought a new bass boat, super nice. And uh, he invited a friend of mine and myself to uh, join him on, on that boat's maiden voyage. It was a really nice bass boat, and uh, I was fishing a bit more back at that time, and my friend certainly was, and so he wanted us to come along with him. And so Man, we, we, you know, get his boat in the water, and he parks his truck and trailer and everything, and we jump in the boat, and, and we're going to head to this, you know, fishing hot spot, and we're just going to tear him up. That was the plan anyway. But on the way to this spot, we noticed that something was wrong, okay? A boat is intended and designed to be in the water, right? But it's not designed to have the water in the boat, and that was the problem on that day. We noticed that we were taking on water. And not just a little bit. We were taking on a lot of water. And it became very quickly, it was very quickly evident that this is problematic. Okay, and then my mentor realized what he had done. He had left the plug out of the boat. Okay, so we're, we're, we're taking on water fast, and so he starts to try to trim it out just right so we can get rid of some, and then we're starting to bail this water. I mean, we're trying to, we're trying to get it out. So you, you want your boat to be in the water, right? If this is my boat, I want it to be in the water. That's what it's designed for. I just don't want the water in my boat. Okay, and, and have you ever noticed that if too much water gets in the boat, what happens? It sinks, right? And pretty soon, you can't even see the boat anymore. It has become a part of the water. And I'm afraid that that's what's happening with a lot of followers of Christ today. They got so much water, they're taking on so much water that you really can't even see their boat anymore. For various reasons, they've destroyed their witness, they've covered their light, their salt has lost its saltiness. Okay, so we want to be in the world, but we don't want to be of the world. Okay, don't put your boat in dry dock. Okay, don't become a monk. <laughs> don't become a hermit, as much as some of us introverts might like to do that, okay? We still need to engage with the world in which we live for the sake of the gospel. And when, when possible, we'll cooperate with others in doing that. But when necessary, we'll also separate with some, won't we? But we're always going to be faithful to engage with the gospel. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church Van Alstine. FBCVA is located at 121 East Marshall Street in Van Alstine, Texas, or you can visit us online at www.fbcva.com. Be sure to visit the Sermon Archive for more messages from this and other series.